Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today, I'm joined by CTO and co-founder Manoj Tatika of a business called Sprink, who are in the buy now, pay later world. And we're going to be exploring the buy now, pay later world. We're going to be exploring more around payments, credit risk analysis. We're also going to be exploring a really interesting journey from an IC and a software engineer, all the way through to being the co-founder of a business, raising money, growing a business, and putting a very different hat on. So, Minaj, nice to meet you. How are you? Nice to meet you as well. Pretty good, pretty good. A stormy uh, day, but uh, safe in my home. Uh, Yeah, yeah. it's always stormy here. You're Netherlands-based, right? Yes, uh, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, uh, I'm based in Amsterdam. Uh, yeah. Nice. We're London based. So, listen, I'm used to that. Nine months of the year, not always stormy, <laughs> but I'm used to the clouds and the rain. So, uh, yeah, is what it is, right? Yes. Do you yes, want to yeah. kick us off with a bit of your background and yeah. talk to us a little bit about what I've just mentioned? The I see in software engineering background and where you've come from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, again, thanks a lot for having me on this pod. Uh, I'm, I'm Manoj. Uh, I'm originally from India. Um, I grew up in a small town in the south of India, um, and around about about uh, when I was like 15, 16, I uh, joined a uh, university. I went to uh, Indian Institute of Technology. Uh, it's one of the premier uh, engineering institutes out of the country. Uh, I got my master's and bachelor's in computer science, been coding since I was like 16, uh, 14, 16, something around that age, uh, tinkering with like a lot of games, tried to build a game, didn't work out so well. Um, yeah. And then after I graduated, I did a couple of internships when I was uh, in my engineering uh, uh, institute um, with the two really large companies and I thought, okay, I, I experienced the world of like these large bureaucratic companies. I wanted to be in the startup side where you can grow and learn faster. So when I graduated in 2014, I mainly was looking out for like startups. And at that time, uh, and even now, right, like Bangalore is an Indian city where uh, there are a lot of startups uh, uh, being like, you know, created and, and run out of this city. Um, I joined a uh, early stage, very early stage company when uh, as uh, as a software engineer, right? Like, and this company is called Gozumo. It's a uh, peer to peer marketplace for used cars and bikes. Um, and and we were a small team of people uh, raised some money and trying to build this. Uh, unfortunately, for a wide variety of reasons, it did not take off. Um, even though we had the money uh, to do so, mainly because we were unable to find a product market fit uh, in that particular space. And the lessons learned in that startup really still uh, are in my head, uh, even when running Spring. Uh, and I learned a lot of things about like why startups are very interesting and exciting for me, but I also learned a lot about why, what not to do at an early stage startup, right? Uh, so that was uh, my first couple of years, uh, you know, coming out into uh, uh, the industry. And then I went and I worked for another uh, really cool AI uh, machine learning based startup called Natredyne. So what Natredyne does, uh, did, uh, still does is they 
they put a device, uh, a monitoring device in the um, uh, trucks, cars, all the heavy four-wheelers uh, to monitor the driver's behavior using camera feed, uh, mainly camera feed and, and inertial and, and all kinds of sensors that are inside the device. Um, and, and I joined again as an early team member uh, around the time they raised their uh, seed money. Um, so now they're a Series C, Series D company, uh, slowly inching their way towards an IPO. Uh, Amazon is one of their bigger customers. Uh, where so in, if you if you see a device inside an Amazon Prime truck, that is probably from uh, Nathanine. Um, yeah, and then after that, um, I moved to Germany to work for Yelp. I was really keen on how do these large uh, big tech companies work, um, uh, right? Like Yelp was somewhere there around uh, like, and, and, and the main reason for joining Yelp was to understand how does a Silicon Valley tech company works, right? And, and I think I got a lot of uh, good insights and in how things are managed at that scale. Um, yeah, and then I, I really wanted to get back to my roots of like being a startup, uh, uh, you know, being in startups. And that's when uh, I quit Yelp around uh, late 2020. Uh, the crazy time it was, the second wave of pandemic, uh, decided to quit my job. And, and I was already working on a few ideas in fintech, um, uh, in, in B2B uh, fintech specifically. Uh, I was talking to a bunch of uh, exporters and uh, cross-border uh, merchants who were uh, dealing, uh, you know, uh, like in, in food and agriculture uh, products across continents, right? Like an Indian exporter exporting something to a German merchant or a German merchant exporting something to uh, US and so on, uh, right? And I noticed that there was a gap uh, in the payments and how payments are done and how really painful it is um, and how there is a gap in the market that that uh, addressing them, right? And um, yeah, and then around the same time, Antler, it's an accelerator program uh, that came around. Um, that's where I met uh, my co-founders, Mark and Juan. Uh, Mark came in with a very, very similar idea and, and a lot of, uh, and a wealth of uh, experience uh, in this particular space. Um, uh, and, and that's what drew us all together. Uh, what Mark did was uh, he was running the payment operations um, for Amazon's B2B marketplace. So for for a for a while, right? Like and and he had a lot of insights into this how this business works, what kind of a product that we want to build, and clearly the synergies matched. And then we also had Juan who was working with um, uh, MessageBird at the time. He also quit his job. Uh, so here we are, like three people. Uh, quit their jobs to do something really cool in this space in the middle of the pandemic, um, and 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 we started uh, working together. We found synergies. Uh, like uh, it's a, it's 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 hard to go from a uh, being an employee to like a co-founder. Uh, we did that hard change, and and uh, yeah, here we are after three years. Um, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. By the way. Uh... I love your background as in knowing you for a short minute, you were destined to do something like this, being a builder of your own things and your own games, joining a business, very first business, building something, raising some money, trying to find product market fit, and then deliberately thinking about relocating. How does big tech work? Going to Yelp. So, 
it feels for someone listening to you that this was a journey that you're always going to go on. So good for you. And it takes an immense amount of bravery to leave something, especially in the global pandemic, uh, to then go and build something, albeit accelerated program with support by others, but immense bravery. Good for you. Thank you. There is also something that I want to touch on, and that would be what not to do in a startup, where you learn at uh, your first, if you like, commercial experience. But just give us an overview of Sprink and what the business currently does on top of what you've already told us. Just give us that full overview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the main thesis that we all started working towards, like me, Mark, and Juan, uh, we started working with this thesis that, hey, um, right now, you and I, as a consumer, we go and buy goods, shoes, whatever, food, for example, online. Uh, B2C e-commerce has taken off. There are many, many companies, right? And what is happening in the digitization of the B2B commerce and what about the whole set of B2B e-commerce, right? And how is that happening? And what we realized is it is slowly taking off. And around the time that one of the things that I think kind of triggered us to quit our jobs and work really hard on this particular problem is that COVID has accelerated this digitization of B2B commerce, how business is done, right? And that is the fundamental thesis on which we started. And then we came to the payments part of it. Payments is absolutely the most central important thing to have a a great uh, e-commerce like experience or or to do business, right? Like the ease of payments is what helped the B2C e-commerce to take off so fast, right? And And that part was missing, right? And if you notice how business to business payments are done, it's usually uh, like, hey, I'm dealing with you as a business. Yeah, uh, and you deliver me some goods and services, and then I expect you as a merchant to send me an invoice that I can pay at the end of the month. This is how things have been done for a really long time, right? And then now in the B2B e-commerce world, I come to your website and then I want to buy 10,000 euros worth of raw materials that I can use and go do something, right? For example, if I am a paintings uh, manufacturer, I now come to your chemicals website, right? Where your chemicals marketplace, I buy those chemicals to yeah. manufacture paintings. Now you're asking me uh, for a credit card payment, which I'm, which as a procurement manager, I may, may not have access to this credit card, or businesses don't want to pay on credit card, or more likely, what we found out in the market is this particular chemicals marketplace doesn't even have a payments option at all. Right. So they just connect the buyer and the seller and then they just go back into emailing each other and doing the transaction in a manual fashion using emails and, and I don't know, phone calls and so on. And this payments piece was just completely missing. So this is what we wanted to address uh, with Sprint and the product. The product that we built is very simple. It's uh, a B2B buy now, pay later like solution. A merchant integrates uh, Sprint they can offer Sprink as a payment method to their buyers. And when I'm a buyer, I come to your website, your the merchant's website, I enter uh, my business details, my name, phone number, and so on. And 
Sprint take, takes care of the onboarding of this buyer, their credit risk check, progress check, and we onboard them in less than two seconds. And we give them a credit limit of, let's say, 10,000 euros, and we give them a payment term as well. It can be 15 days, 30 days, 45 days, 60, 90, or in, in a new line of product that we're launching is paying three installments, six installments, 12, 24, right? So, and so for me as a buyer, I want to, let's say, buy on a 30 day payment term. I can just click, okay, I want to pay with Spring, and that's it. They can just go back to, uh, you know, like uh, whatever they do. And after the goods are shipped as a buyer, I will be receiving the invoice, which I can, I now have 30 more days to pay. Now I can send it to my finance team or to my CFO or to my CEO. Hey, can you take care of this bill at the end of the month? Right. Uh, and for the merchant, if you look at the merchant side, the merchant can now service uh, buyers all over the Europe. Right. And in even beyond. Uh, so our coverage, our geographic coverage is our main differentiator. We are now able to uh, service buyers across e uh, Europe and US and a few Asian countries uh, on an opportunistic basis. And I, as a merchant, now I don't have to worry, is this buyer real? Is this a fraudulent? What if they, uh, what if I give them the goods? What if they don't pay? Right now, I, as a merchant, I just get paid on the day after. And I just go back to doing my business, which is like procuring, making, yep. manufacturing, selling goods. And, and, and I, I don't have to worry about my, uh, you know, if the buyer is going to pay me and so on. So it, it, it removes a lot of risk, a lot of manual processes, admin work for the merchant and the buyers, they get payment terms, uh, which they already always had, uh, you know, on, in the offline world. Yep. Now they're getting it online as well. So that's the whole uh, pitch of Spring. Great pitch. I'm smiling because I can really relate. And I think there's been a lot to talk about B2C, buy now, pay later for the last few years, which you know we can tuck into. But everything B2B has always felt quite antiquated. You know, running a business where we do have relationships with other suppliers everything that you're saying about some of those challenges i feel on a weekly monthly basis whereas the buying experience like you mentioned for b2c if you want to go on to uh one of your high street retailers and buy some clothes you know it's really really just quick and simple but that has brought some challenges i think which i'm drumming up in my head I would rather the expert share with us what you feel, I guess, some of those reputational challenges that have come with buy now, pay later. Yeah. How you've overcome them as well yes. is probably quite Absolutely. important. Absolutely. Um, I think buy now, pay later has, uh, has gotten a bad name uh, in the B2C world specifically. Um, and the, I think the main reason is one of the main reasons that the bad name comes from is, is because a lot of the uh, consumers were, um, the, the buy now, pay later was encouraging for impulsive purchases, right? Let's imagine I'm scrolling Instagram and I see this ad for a, I don't know, 500 euro uh, bag from Gucci. 
and I'm just going to immediately go and buy it and I don't have to pay for it right now and I can um, I can pay with Klarna uh, or whatever buy now pay later options that you have. And this encourages this impulsive behavior and as well as um, the, the, and it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's enabling affordability, right? For the consumer on, 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 on things that they may or may not necessarily need, right? But if you look at uh, B2B buy now pay later, right? Like, which is what we are pitching our product as, it is a, a product of necessity. This is how business has always been done. I have a data scientist who who can give you an example of of this buy now pay later happening in the ancient uh, Florence merchants world as well. So this is right. It, it goes back uh, uh, quite uh, like uh, into into the time with, with how this um, uh, with, with how the way uh, with how things have been done in this way. Uh, yeah. So in that sense, B two B buy now pay later is addressing uh, specifically the need rather than for the affordability, for the buyer experience, and for removing any kind of frictions uh, 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 from the process of this enabling this transaction between a merchant and a buyer. I think that is what we are addressing and this is how we are different from the, the B2C buy now pay later uh, world. Share with us, some of the inf uh, sorry information innovation that you're doing internally you talk about a data science engineer and i know anyway from speaking to you there's some really cool stuff that you're doing share with the audience a little bit about that innovation yeah absolutely i think the primary um, uh, innovation i would point out to immediately is the ability to onboard buyers from different countries, right? Like right now it's Europe and US, right? And that's a huge geographic coverage. Ability to onboard buyers from uh, from these countries and probably going global in less than two seconds, I think is the key part of the innovation that we are able to like roll out quite fast. Um, all the while taking care of fraud risk and credit risk, right? So how uh, the, the more nuanced details of this is that we have built up a data network, a data uh, network that combines, that, that basically has integrated uh, a bunch of data sources like credit bureaus, fraud risk data sources, Google Maps, for example, to do different kinds of analysis on how far, let's say, the shipping address and the registration addresses, uh, looking at the user's digital footprint Right, wow. like for example, their IP or where is it coming from, and so on. And using this whole um, uh, um, data points, we build a accurate map of un uh, of understanding of why this transaction is taking place, who is on the other end, uh, what is what are the what are they buying, and and understand all of these details, and do this in two seconds, right? Like and do the be and this is like the secret sauce. I would say that we are able to build upon uh, that I want to highlight the most, uh, right? Like at the end, the buyer needs to pay us back and needs to pay us back in time. That's how we can make this business work. Uh, and, and we need to be able to do this at scale, right? So uh, yeah, I will, this is the main highlight and the main secret sauce in the, in the platform, which is what we call the risk engine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So, so the risk engine is basically looking at everything around the analysis of a business credit. They're looking at the buyer, the location of the buyer, their digital footprint, and it will do that in a snapshot. Yes. Yes. That's Absolutely. pretty impressive. Yes. And, and, and it's only going to get better with more data and the more and the transactions that we're processing right now and the many data sources that we discover and we integrate right yeah. like so it's only bound to get better with with the, the 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 longer we operate the better it gets the thing that i love about startups is um as a collective trio you've obviously thought of this idea but to actually integrate the technical solution to your idea and think about building this risk engine to make it happen. That's what I think is the fantastic synergy here um, to make Sprink yeah. so successful, really, because no doubt there's probably a couple of other ways that you could approach this, but you've got something that really works for you that you feel in the market is unique, and that's your draw card. Yes. Um, I think I think a lot of the credit also goes back goes to the you know the the founding teams um, uh, uh, the diversity in the founding team. So for example, like it's it's no, we are not only diverse in our nationalities. Mark is Dutch, I'm Indian, and then Juan is uh, American. Uh, not just that, but if you look at the uh, the backgrounds, Mark has this uh, product experience. I have the technical experience, and then Juan goes out and talks to a lot of customers. And, and combining, putting this all together, it was it was the insights that all three of us can bring to the table is is what enabled this kind of uh, fast building uh, and 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 innovative uh, solutions in uh, putting the innovative solutions into place. Uh, I would credit like the, like the diversity of the team and the, and the backgrounds, and then of course uh, the team that we have uh, at, at Sprint at Large reflects that uh, diversity as well. Uh, Good fear. Before we talk about the experience of being a technical co-founder, can we roll it back slightly and talk about joining the Antler program oh. and what that experience was like for, for people listening who might have an idea but don't necessarily know what that experience is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Antler uh, came around a very interesting time when I was uh, I really wanted to start up, and I was lacking in the in the in the network of people with which I can co-found the startup with. Right, like that was something that I was um, frustrated with in in the, during the pandemic. I really wanted to start up, but you also I also realized that I need a a, a really strong founders to uh, co-founders to go and attack a uh, you know like a like a problem space and build a really cool product right and i think antler came around the right time basically antler is a program where it brings founders that are um, that are interested in working on an idea form a company uh, they do give uh, an initial funding of 100k and they uh, introduce you to uh, potential new vcs while you're working on this product using this little amount of funding that they give um, I think that really helped us get the team together, the co-founders together, and then set up the business and 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 start the whole thing. I think that is where the main uh, value proposition lies uh, with Antler. Um, and 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 I, I think um, you know one, one thing I would say is like uh, engineers are builders at heart, 
And I think engineers can look at a problem space at a, at a, uh, a specific area in the economy and, and uh, see how things can be done differently. If there is a lot of problems in that space and build a product. I think more engineers uh, looking to start up, I think it can be an interesting avenue to find business co-founders uh, that they can work with and build a company and a product. Um, yeah. And this might sound slightly dim, but do you fill out an application form as in, these are my areas of interest, or this is the problem I think I can solve in the industry, and it's a matching process, or I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no. Um, I think once you get in the program, it's just uh, it's an open room uh, with forty other people. So go talk to them uh, and and uh, see who you uh, I don't know vibe with and and uh, go build this company. That's it's, it's it's one way of building a startup. It's not the only way. Uh, I have to emphasize this, right? Like it's one way of starting up. There are other ways. Um, honestly, the uh, there if you can find a co-founder within your uh, previous colleagues people you have worked with in their past or with your friends or with your uh, dorm roommate. Uh, it's also mm -hmm. a great way to uh, start a company. Uh, it is, Antler is one of the ways to okay. start building a company. Yeah. So Antler program, three of you, 100K to kickstart. What's that experience been like moving from software engineer to a technical co-founder and growing a business? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started with 100K. So uh, I started working on the product like the day we kind of like got the money and then we, we established the company and so on that was going on. And I started building the product. I hired a, a couple of developers just using this 100K. We did not want to draw salary out of this uh, initial small little fund. Uh, right. So uh, we hired two developers to start like it took you know just really start building up the product like it's if it's just me it's a it's it's not as fast uh i thought and i also had to, had to talk to investors to uh manage for the next uh round of funding which is the pre-seed round of funding um so it was a very interesting experience i was i never managed people so uh but i was always on the building side of the product so that part came naturally like understanding um, uh, what to build and how to build it was 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 easier, but building a team was 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 a challenging part. Which I think uh, I I w one of the things I think we did very well is we had a network of advisors that we were able to uh, bring around ourselves, right? Like uh, like that we were uh, talking to continuously, uh, who were uh, directors of engineering and previous CTOs and uh, previous co-founders, CEOs. And we were able to tap into their knowledge and learn and apply them apply uh, their learnings and learn from their mistakes and and yeah and that really helped me to get the team into shape and grow the team and grow the uh, and and grow the product as well uh, keep building the product with the team um, yeah I think that is a single biggest learning for me is like talk to people talk to people who have already done certain things before. Um, cover up the gaps in my knowledge. My, uh, for example, I was, I had a gap of uh, building a team and then I was able to quickly cover that up by talking to people and also like trying, trying out things myself, definitely made a bunch of mistakes, but then, uh, you know, learn from the mistakes, not repeat them. Yeah, that's, 
that would be the short summary of it. What was that early stage learning for you? Joining the first business where you couldn't find product market fit, what not to do in a startup. What was that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the mistakes that uh, uh, we as a founding team uh, that we did in that particular business previous to uh, uh, previously was that we had um, a, a significant amount of funding, right? And how we determine product market fit, right? And how what we define as product market fit, what we define as a healthy business wasn't enough. So our unit economics were poor, uh, the end-to-end -end processes were not well automated, which resulted in hiring a large group of people to run the operations. And I think the main fundamental learning was scaling a lot before we achieved a clear product market fit and solid unit economics. Yeah. Right. And and we grew to a large size and it really became hard to iterate with the product and iterate through different business models and get to that, uh, you know, like the solid business case on why this startup should exist and, and how will this startup make profits at scale, uh, maybe not immediately at scale that that was not entirely clear. And, and, and I think that is the single biggest learning. Um, there are many little learnings like don't diversify your tech stack too much in the early mm -hmm. stage and so on. That is, that is, that is still like these little things are uh, learnings that are very, very uh, important as well. But the, the core learning is this. Don't scale until you get a clear product market fit and a, and a positive uh, unit economics that you can vouch for. Uh, and then you can like keep scaling up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Got you. Talk to us a little bit about raising some funding rounds and continuing to grow the business. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so I don't um, lead that part of the uh, 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 Springs activity that is uh, very well handled by our CEO and co-founder Juan. Um, so what, what role do I play in, in the fundraising is essentially talking about the vision, right? Like as a technical co-founder, I bring a certain vision to the table, the vision of uh, enabling a business to business transaction between a seller and a, uh, and a buyer. They can be anywhere in this world, explaining it, how uh, that, that is the main thing that I bring to the table and also make a painting a very clear, detailed view of how we build the products, right? And how we plan to scale it, right? Like uh, essentially uh, what VCs are essentially looking for is, uh, is this business healthy? If it is healthy, how do you scale it, mm -hmm. right? And is this the right team to do so? Right, like, and and around the time of seed funding round, it usually becomes very clear that the team is great, right? Like, and 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 we have a clear product uh, in at our hand that we are uh, going out and, and and selling to customers, and customers are buying it, and so on. Um, the the key thing that they are looking for is how big of an opportunity it is. How does this product and the company scale uh, as time goes on to capture a lion's share of this opportunity? Uh, yeah. and, and how are they differentiating against competition? And, yeah. 
Could I pose that question to you? How big of an opportunity do Sprint have yeah, in the market? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I believe that B2B payments is one of the largest uh, markets out there. If you, it, It's a simple, um, it, it, can, it, it comes down to this atomic transaction, right? Like the, at the atomic level, it's a buyer, a B2B merchant selling goods or services to a uh, business buyer, right? And uh, our job is to enable this transaction, no matter where the buyer is, no matter what size the buyer is, no matter what size the merchant is, right? Enabling this transaction. So if you look at, this is the atomic uh, lay, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. concept of, of where we operate. Now, if you expand it and look uh, and, and you know, take a step back, this industry is counted in trillions, right? Like the B2B payments uh, is counted in trillions. Um, so it is um, the opportunity in Europe in itself is about estimated to be about uh, 2 trillion of B2B commerce, right? And within that, we obviously, uh, there is the S curve, like the, the curve of adoption, right? Like we, we want to focus on early stage adopters and the innovators. That segment is, even if it is, let's say, 10% of 2 trillion, it, it still gives you a gigantic market to look at and, 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 and operate in. And I think this is the space where unicorns are generally made. Like when you have a large space, large unconsolidated space with no clear market leader and, and there are problems all over the place and you build a product and, and the customers love this product and, and you're able to scale it. And, and this is how like unicorns are made in my opinion, uh, or maybe even decacorns or, or companies that go to IPO like, like Adyen uh, operated in, in a similar area uh, where there are, where is it, there's a huge market, no clear leader, unconsolidated and, and build the best possible products uh, to make the customer happy. Um, I couldn't agree more. Where do you anticipate your technical challenges will be as you scale? Mm, good question. Hmm. Um, I think I would say it is still like the key focus. It will be in the risk engine, the ability to onboard a buyer, right? And, and give them credits and then get the money back, right? And doing this at scale is a uh, incredible technical challenge. And I think we're gearing up with the right team, with the right domain expertise. I think this is some biggest learning. Like as an engineer, you, you think like, okay, I can go build something, but then you are trying to basically gain the domain expertise from scratch, which is like one of the biggest learning experience to involve domain expertise all the way from the beginning, work with them and, and, uh, and solve these problems. I think th this is the main technical challenge I would say uh, that we are uh, that we will see and then uh, overcome. I, I don't want you to delve too much into your secret sauce and ask you okay. a little bit more about the risk engine. <laughs> sure, 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 absolutely. But talk to us a little bit about short term and the the next six to twelve months and what the business is looking to achieve and also where you'll be growing because four people listening and we've got some deep roots in the Netherlands as in the podcast itself has some deep roots in the Netherlands. There will no doubt be people listening who will really want to keep an eye on 
what you're doing, what you're building, when the right time is to reach out to you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think for the next six to 12 months, we are heads down building, acquiring more customers. We have some really big names going live uh, in Q3. Um, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but think of a large electronics OEM, right? Like, um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, so a couple of names in that particular sector is going live uh, with Spring. Uh, and, and, and basically getting more traction, going, uh, getting more transactions, processing more transactions. And I think the, the second part is we want to build a product that customers absolutely love and can vouch for, right? And right now we are iterating towards that phase of product building. We have the product, it works well now. How do we absolutely like make our customers love us? And without Spring, they just can't operate, right? Like we're trying to get to that phase and, and while simultaneously scale the volumes that we process. This is what uh, six to 12 months looks like. Um, and, and I think we are definitely hiring for data scientists, uh, engineers, and specifically uh, implementation engineers that are helping us uh, integrate with the customers so then the customers integrate us very fast so that we give them a really, really smooth onboarding experience so that they can start, uh, you know, offering Sprint as a payment method to their buyers. Love it. Help us understand tech stack for people listening and they can obviously tune into, is this right for them or not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest learnings that I had in my previous startup was uh, diversifying the tech stack a little too much in the beginning, um, like have a lot of microservices that are one is in Python, one is in Clojure, one is in Rust and so on. I, I really had a, a tough time managing uh, all these little services. So one of the things that I did early on is to limit that uh, spread. So pretty much everything that uh, on the backend side and, and that is not frontend is, is in Python, right? Like, so we embrace Python. We use Python for our backend, different frameworks of Python in the backend. Uh, we use Python for data science. It has the best libraries, machine learning, artificial intelligence libraries, the, the, for all the techniques that we use in the credit risk and the, and the, and the risk engine side. Are, are, are already well built into the Python ecosystem in the, in the form of libraries and so on. So we use that. And then one extra little uh, quirky thing that we did is we managed our infrastructure using Python, uh, right? Like uh, it, it's a technology called uh, Pulumi that heavily automates deployments and, and spinning up resources. And the beautiful thing about Pulumi is that you can write code in Go or, or Python or, or uh, TypeScript and so on to manage your infrastructure. So we have a backend team that is very, very, uh, they're, they're, I, I'm, a, I'm a Python fan even before I, I started Spring, right? And, and now I see the kind of people that we have on the team, they're just Python experts. I, can, I cannot compare myself with them. So there we have a lot of Python expertise within the team. A lot of them actually, one of them actually uh, is a, uh, key contributor to some of the key libraries uh, in the open source world uh, as well. Um, so yeah, so we are, we have built up this uh, amazing Python expertise, um, and on the front end we have React, TypeScript, uh, uh, right? Like they just magically work. They're amazing to work with. 
Um, we use Kubernetes for uh, infrastructure, AWS uh, managed services to host and manage our, our all the uh, uh, services that we need. Um, yeah, that's that's that would be the tech stack. Uh, I think the message loud and clear is Python lovers get in touch. <laughs> or 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 even if you just love to build a product, get in touch. Uh, we can definitely work with that. Yes. Product builders, get in touch. This is, I feel, a big opportunity with obviously some really smart people, you know, at the forefront of the business who've got the right expertise, right backers, seemingly huge market to exploit and a product that I can feel personally will really go and add value. We're going to be back here in, you know, 12, 18 months, see where you're up to, Minaj, and see what's changed and we'll reflect on this day we'll reflect yes, on it definitely. Definitely. Uh, i, I want to say a massive thank you i want to say a massive good luck and thank you. Thank you continue doing what you're doing for everyone listening the usual likes shares show friends in the netherlands about these guys and girls if you're running a b2b business check these guys and girls out and like I say, best of luck. We'll be back here. Thank you. Yeah. And a massive thanks. Thank you. All right.